This is Coffee, Books, and True Crime. Hey everyone! Hey guys! This is Nicole. And I'm Amanda. And we are Coffee, Books, and True Crime. We have been preparing for this episode for weeks now. <laughs> I feel like most of the time definitely went into reading the books for sure. Definitely. Today we are going to talk about Keith Raniere and Nexium, And the books that we read or listened to on Audible are The Program and Scarred. And if you're interested in listening to these on Audible, number one, highly recommend. Two, they're both narrated by the authors. So Sarah Edmondson, who did who wrote Scarred, um, she she actually does the voice for that. And then the program, Tony Natale, she also voices her book, which is really cool. Yeah, I think it makes it feel so much more connected. Like they're just telling me the story yeah, and how everything and- happened. Yeah, and it's their lived experience, so super, super awesome. Highly recommend the audiobooks. Yeah, because we both listen to those. I have Scarred, like, in an ebook, but just listening to Sarah talk about it, it was so much more immersive. Totally. So before we kind of get into this, because this may be kind of a lengthy episode, we may have to break it into two parts. We won't really know until we hit the editing process, but... So you guys are on the same page as us. We're going to kind of give you a few terms. The first one is MLM. That is multi-level marketing. And that is like your Scentsy, your pure romance, um, Longaberger, when it was a thing. I'm trying to think what else. Lula Rose, one of them. Yeah. Lula. I used to love those leggings so much. <gasps> I actually am wearing, I, look, I'm wearing my Lula Rose shirt. <laughs> So literally wearing it. But yeah, I remember when we were talking about this and you were like MLM and I'm like, what is that? And then it was like, oh. so Yeah, it's like yeah. you buy into the company and then, you know, if you sign up all these people, then you go to the next tier and then the next one and then you bring in more money. When nine times out of ten, it just doesn't work like that. Yes, I think and I, I see a lot of people just casually kind of calling it a pyramid scheme and I don't really think they're wrong necessarily no but pyramid scheme like that's what okay we won't get into that (laughs) wait a minute we can i mean we totally could a pyramid scheme is whenever you're using that and it is only profiting like the owner which which might relate (laughs) to some things we talk about today Okay, it is what we're talking about today, essentially. <laughs> but okay, so other other cult terms. So I think you know maybe starting at the basic, like what is a cult even? I forgot to look that up and write it down. Okay, hang on. You notice how I try? I also didn't, but I tried to like. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. thanks. And what is a cult even, <laughs> Nicole? <laughs> oh, oh, was that was that mine to look up? Okay. <laughs> So today's big thing, I, I know that we love, okay, that was going to sound weird. We don't love serial killers, but I mean. I mean, I thought you were going to say we love cults. Which... I mean, I do. It is such a thing. Like, that is one of my favorite things in this world. Same. <laughs> like, I like 
you know, learning about different serial killers and different murders, but cults just really get to me. They're fascinating. Because I can't fathom how a leader can wind up becoming like a Jesus figure and people just blindly follow. Yes, and I think my struggle with cults is, like, at the individual level, a serial killer, you can kind of be like, okay, maybe there's something wrong with that person. But the whole group, you're like, how is there collectively something going on here that, like, we can't really explain? And for the most part, most cults don't know they're a cult until legal gets involved. Yes, yes, totally. Which, okay, uh, sidebar, uh, sidebar. I don't know if you, have you ever seen The Sinner on Netflix? No, I have not. Okay, it's it really has nothing to do with this at all, but it's oh, really good. I got excited. <laughs> okay, hold on, I might bring you back to being excited. It's really good. It's like number three on Netflix or something. Season one, awesome. I just started season two, and there's some culty things going on, and I am loving it. It's really Love good. Cult. Okay, so back to what we were saying. A okay. cult is. Oh my gosh. Okay, so do you know how much I love the Golden Girls? I realize this is like completely off topic, but it's really not. Because I just Googled cult to try and give an, you know, an accurate definition for you guys. But it said, for example, the cult of St. Olaf, which is the city that Rose talks about all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry guys. Oh my gosh. I love the Golden Girls so much. But anyways... A system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. There we that, go. That's yeah. more along the lines. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, some more, like, older popular cults, if you think of Jim Jones, that... Was heavily that religious, religiously mm-hmm, based that- and... That following he had, and I think one of the major staples of a cult is a charismatic leader. Somebody oh, that really sure. has a way of making you feel special. Like David Koresh, I mean. David Koresh, that there's a cause. And, like, the way that, you know, what's interesting about those ones is they're really religion-based. And I think the one we're going to talk about today is not so much. No. not more, more spirituality. Yeah, it's about, like, finding yourself and bettering yourself. But then it has all these underlying conditions that you don't realize until you're in the thick of it. Yeah, yeah. And it's so, like, yeah. Because who doesn't want to better themselves? Or, you know, and I feel like, yeah, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Okay, another term that we may say is the stripe path, which was their leadership. Like, it was how they rose through the ranks. Okay, stripe path. Yes, this is one that super confused me. You had to explain this to me. Yes. With, like, I knew what it was, but I didn't know that's what it was called. Yeah, the stripe path is the way that they were able to move through the ranks. That was their ranking system. And... Whenever we get more into Nexium and what it had what it had evolved into, I'll go deeper into that. But if I mention the Stripe Path, it's just the way that they rose through the ranks, the way they got more clout with Ranieri, yes. basically. And I think the easiest way that you helped me realize what Stripe Path was is like they were symbolized by like colored sashes. So the literal stripe so like a purple sash might mean this or like a green sash might mean this and we'll talk about those sashes later but that's what the stripe path 
is. It's that ranking, like Nicole said. And the other term that we may use or whenever we quote something is EM, and that is exploration of meaning. And during these EM sessions, senior members would question participants as they delved into like childhood memories and tried to help them overcome different things within their life. And we'll really hit some of those hard. But I guess it's time to start at the very beginning. Keith Ranieri, he is quite a figure. He is a man that had a 240 IQ, self-proclaimed concert musician, black lots of talent. black belt in judo, entrepreneur. He could survive on two hours of sleep. Yep, the he he um, didn't need to sleep. Really, like almost a like how you would think of Einstein as being like above and beyond like human if that makes sense like just super what am i saying almost being like superhuman in the sense that like when we have celebrities that we really look up to and they have these qualities that it feels like we could never have keith seemed to have those yes that's a perfect way to explain it and mark vicente he was one of the higher members of nexium towards the end he actually said something in the vow i believe which is the hbo series about nexium that heavily features sarah edmondson and tony natale and mark vicente but he said that he told keith he was like you know i admire you so much because i am just in awe of you because of what all you have accomplished and your goals and he was in awe of him and i'm just like that's something you, I don't know. That one man saying that to another man regarding business just sounds real weird. Like, that's not a good compliment. Like, <laughs> it's bizarre. But they were all obsessed with Keith Ranieri because of everything he had done. I mean, and having that high of an IQ, they wanted to learn from him. Because he had came up with technology and ways his business yeah his and making money and yeah and and startup businesses and being super smart and being able to manage these things and i think that is where he started kind of getting a grasp and where he was starting up his company so i think that's how he was effective in starting cbi and getting people kind of engaged in who he was as a person and getting him and kind of getting himself out there because i if i believe this correctly and i hope i remember it right that that's where tony natale met him right yes cbi is also is the short term for consumers byline incorporated i honestly still don't exactly understand what they did but it was a multi-level marketing company it's that, that, that low IQ. <laughs> yeah, it is. It just doesn't even compare it, to Keith's IQ. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, I, can't, I, am, I can't even understand. Between reading that stuff and watching The Vow and just trying to look up information, I can't decide if lot. they're, like, professional shoppers, if they just compare prices or what they do and how, if they're shopping for other people, how are they making money? I don't, 
I don't get it. Well, and honestly, <laughs> your confusion is justified because is it, are they in New York? Is that where this is taking place? Okay, so we're in New York. So your confusion is justified because obviously the state in New York didn't understand what was going on either because it was found that CBI was illegal, was illegal, and there there were charges brought up against CBI that you know you need to shut this down. And Keith really had a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Keith had a problem. Yeah, and. You know, I think Keith struggled with that this was his fault. And he, and you'll see this over and over with Keith, blaming, like, it's New York's fault. Like, it's not my fault this business isn't working. It's, it's the fault. government. They're after me. They don't like what I can do. They're afraid of me. Yeah, like they, yes. So essentially, CBI started up in the 90s and clearly didn't last that long because whatever it was that they were doing if it was professional shopping or whatever the whatever they were doing was illegal was not so that had to be shut down and within cbi is where tony natale met keith ranieri now she had first went to one of his like introductions of this is what cbi is to like his marketing ploys to try and get people to join and her and her husband were hooked They, you know, loved what he stood for, who he was. They looked up to him, and then they wound up meeting him. And after that meeting, Keith called Natalie every night, and they would spend hours on the phone. And they started going through, and Tony and her husband started going through financial hardships, so Keith's like, fly in here to me here in Albany, and, you know, we will talk to our finance guy and we'll help you guys out so i think we like i think what really what we really need to highlight here is the attraction of keith so they went into this and you have to look at it from tony natalie's perspective that she went to this seminar to meet the smartest man in the world and so this these seminars were were life-changing supposed to be life-changing that you would even have the ability to even be in the same room as Keith. And so Tony goes to this and she's and and I we have to I feel like bring up that Tony at this point had was it her high school diploma? So she didn't She not, didn't even have a high school diploma. She dropped so she, out in 10th grade. So dropped out in 10th grade. So there's also that wow factor of Keith that he's the smartest man and then that self-doubt. So you got to couple those together where you've got Tony Natalie feeling like, wow, I can't even believe I'm in his presence. That, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's step one of the lore, the lure, or however you would say it, the lore. Yeah. The attraction, the lore. The allure. I don't, I don't know what word to use. I, I had to push down that West Virginia where I was like, the lure. <laughs> there was the lure. The attraction was there. But. But for real, the I mean, that dynamic between her feeling that self-doubt and being in his presence. So, anyway. But Tony and her husband had been, like, the top sellers and had won this award and, I think, extra money. So, they drove in to pick it up and to see Keith and see how CBI operated. And Keith looked at her and said, do you want to quit smoking? Tony didn't even tell him that she smoked or anything. It's like, do you do you want to quit smoking? And Tony's like, yeah, okay. And <laughs> she went into this room, and he said that he was going to use pressure points on her hand. And every time she felt the urge to smoke, she would push this part of her hand, and the urge would disappear. 
And then that's all she remembered. Whenever she left the room, they were like, wow, you were in there forever. What were you talking about? She was like, what do you mean? I was in there for 20 minutes tops. And she had actually been in there for over two hours. Wow. Yeah. So we really don't know what happened. But Tony Natale did say, for whatever reason, that she never did smoke again. Yeah, she's still... I would say that he used like a hypnotism or something to that effect. But we we don't know and neither does Tony, but she doesn't smoke. <laughs> yeah, so whatever I mean, I hate to say that it worked, but it must have. And from there I think she was just hooked on Keith. After she flew home, they you know, they spoke on the phone every night. He flew her back to Albany to talk about you know, their financial issues and stuff. But I think, you know, I think so. At this point, you know, getting Tony Natale completely on board with, with Keith and before, you know, their professional and later intimate relationship started, I think we should talk about kind of a tr- the trauma bonding experience that happened after the hypnosis. Yes, so they had the hypnosis. She went home with her husband and okay. then he called her you know, back because that's whenever they started having issues because the husband's mother tanked the husband's company. Okay. Yeah, so they were fully reliant on basically CBI and its success. So they had, Keith was like, you know, I'm going to need Tony to come down and meet with me and meet with a finance guy and, you know, we'll see what we can do. And he... She did wind up meeting with the finance guy, and they got something worked out. But the whole time she was there, she was in a hotel room, and Keith was there, and he kept having um, potential trigger warnings, by the way. Ooh, yes, trigger warning. Um, she had to keep explaining to him how she was molested as a child. He would, she would finish the story, and he'd be like, okay, now start over. And she would go through it again and, okay, start over. And it had been over 24 hours and she was just exhausted. And Keith went off and took a nap. And he brought in Pam Kafritz, who was one of his close friends at that time, to continue this, quote-unquote, hotel therapy with poor Tony. And Yes. And I think it's a form of this, like, of honestly a form of like trauma bonding where it's like okay I'm going to break you down psychologically and then we're going to form this bond and like I mean yeah I'm definitely not an expert on how that would work but it's definitely anti-therapy there's nothing therapeutic about making someone relive their trauma over over and and over over and over for hours and days like that is not okay no I mean don't get me wrong I feel that you know Talking about it and how it makes you feel can be effective, but not yeah. making them tell you the story over and over and over again and reliving that over and over. Yeah, and processing that with a professional instead of like Keith Ranieri in a hotel room. Like, that's like weird. just because he has a 240 IQ does not mean he should be tinkering with brains, but he no, does. And, and he does, and he skillfully does. So, their relationship had developed. And they were sleeping together. She thought she was the girlfriend. She left her husband. They moved in together. And it was, you know, everything was 
no, everything wasn't good. She was abused verbally and, you know, trauma bonded is the best yes. way I can describe that. For sure. And eventually CBI was shut down due to the New York State filing a lawsuit alleging that CBI was a pyramid scheme. And at this point in Tony's book, she talks about how Keith just kind of could not get past it. Like, it was not anything he possibly could have done wrong. Because as we're going to find out, Keith is very narcissistic. Yeah. In 1994, him and Natalie created the National Health Network, which was, like, these vitamins. Because she had... A son that needed a lot of medical help, so she wanted to start helping, like, in the health world. So she would have these one-on-one consultations with people and help them pick the vitamins that they would need and then purchase them and all that. Okay, in 1996, I need you guys to really pay attention. Ranieri signed a consent order banning him from ever promoting, offering, or granting participation participation in a chain distribution scheme, meaning any other MLMs. And they ordered him to pay a $40,000 fine that I don't think he ever did. I highly doubt it. Yeah, because, you know, Keith had no money, but he had all kinds of financial backing. Mm -hmm. But, so, Ranieri and Natalie had created the National Health Network, but it was all under Tony's name. So, CBI, done. And so Keith had convinced Tony to do a startup company with him, which we just learned is a no-no. He's not allowed to do. But they had but started it two years prior to the ban. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That part was, I didn't realize that. Yes. But yeah. So now he's convinced, you know, at this point, Tony to start up and like you said, put everything in her name. Yes. And she eventually meets this woman, Nancy Salzman. And she met Nancy Salzman because Nancy was full of shit. <laughs> is that directly from the notes? That is directly <laughs> from the book, The Program. Oh, yeah, that is from the <laughs> It book. is directly from the program. Quote, she was full of shit. Which is hilarious because, Which, honestly, the reason they had met was because Nancy was having gastric issues and bowel issues so she got a hold of you know the national health network to try and get you know vitamins and stuff going to help her poop which also she's full of shit just in general yes 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 she is yeah that's hilarious and after they had kind of got to know each other and spent some time on the phone you know Salzman was like I want to help you too I'm a therapist And Tony kind of told her a little bit about her and Keith's relationship. And Nancy goes, oh, that's easy. He's a psychopath. And You're welcome. (laughs) Right? And she had agreed to, you know, meet with Keith and Tony in like a couple situation. But some time had went by. And Tony kind of brought Keith up again. And Nancy was like, well, you just don't know him. But she was already in contact with Keith and was jumping on the Keith train, to put it lightly. 
and she had brought her daughters, which included Lauren Salzman, into the fold. And Nancy put her name on everything regarding Nexium. And I think, you know, something, like, with Salzman's therapy is, like, it was legit, like, therapy. Like, they would have Tony come, well, she would have Tony come in and sit with her. And basically, I'm going to say pretend to be a therapist because Nancy Salzman is not a therapist. She is not, not a licensed therapist. She is something, no. but it is not therapy. What? What was she? I don't remember what exactly she was, but it wasn't it wasn't anything of that, yeah. So she was faking it and you know, obviously doing some serious harm and the fact that she had this back relationship like this, you know, new Keith before she was even seeing Tony Natalie, like she kind of had an inside, you know, look into how to manipulate exactly. Okay, so Nancy was proficient in neuro-linguistic programming, which is a pseudo-scientific approach to communication, professional development, and psychotherapy. So It's fake. It's so fake. It is just another name for people it's to say, fake. oh, I am proficient in this. I am a therapist. Not It'd be like it'd be like saying like I have a doctorate in paranormal studies and then telling you that I had a doctorate. Like, that means nothing. <laughs> Your dogs. But yeah, that means nothing. No. That means nothing. I knew it was something. Like, literal, a literal degree in what? Like, does she have a degree? What was it again? It says she was a nurse, too. So, all I could hear was fake because computer yeah. science is fake. <laughs> yeah. She is listed in the. Nurses database, which is a database showing like all of the license, like the nursing licensures, and she did have a nursing license in the state of New York from nine, 1983 to 2019. So she she was a nurse, okay. but yeah, that that's it. She was a nurse. Interesting. So at this point, I think you know the picture of Keith Raniere is that nothing too awful has happened. I mean, nothing, other than the trauma bonding. I mean, that's pretty rough. <laughs> that's pretty rough. That's aw- that is awful. But I think on the outside, like on the surface, if you were to look, you'd be like, well, okay, so he, what has he done at this point? And, but it does, it gets worse. Yes. The cult definitely gets worse, and it becomes more apparent how it's a cult. Because at this point, we're just getting into Nexium, which is the actual cult we're talking about today. But thought we'd give some background on how all of it kind of came to exist. Right, and Nexium is all done under Nancy Salzman's name. Keith Ranieri is the – he's not like the CEO. He is – it's like the father of the idea or something like that. It's like they even said in court that he is the vanguard of Nexium. And that's all they call him. They all refer to him as Vanguard. Which is this game that he really liked. So he's he's kind of power tripping on, you know, call call me Vanguard, because that's what he he wanted to be called, because it related to this video game that he really liked, who was a person of power. And in the video game, as you eliminated enemies, you got more power. 
And Nancy is the one that told Tony, hey, you have to call him Vanguard now. Because before this, he had just been Keith. Mm-hmm. And we had mentioned the stripe path. And now I'm going to break it down even further for you. So Keith is the top of the tier. and But he wears a white sash, which is also what the bottom of the levels wear. Because he's... I think a white is an interesting choice, too. Because it's very Christ-like, very pure, very, like, yeah. Yeah, so white's an interesting choice. But anyways. But he picked that because they called their level one people, like, their students. So the students wear white. And Keith said he is always learning, always, you know, he's always a student. So that's why his is white as well. And then Nancy is the next step down in wearing gold. And they called her prefect, which was, like, Vanguard's, like, I see you wanting to say I know, I can't think of what the word is. I'm over here talking with my hands. I totally thought you were going to say side piece. I about did because she was second in command. That's what I meant. Ah, yes. (laughs) Nancy was gold and was Keith's second in command. Then they had green sashes. No, no, I skipped two. They had blue, which were counselors. Purple, which were senior counselors. Green sashes, which were senior proctors. Orange sashes, which were proctors. Yellow sashes, which were coach. Sashes is starting to sound really weird coming out of my mouth. (laughs) And then white sashes, which were students, the introductory. Also, white being pure for students, too. Interesting connection. Right? Very odd. So all of that falls under the umbrella of executive success programs. That is what the stripe path is underneath. Because, you see, Nexium is like an umbrella that farms out, like, to down to ESP, which is the Executive Success Programs. And then within that, you farm out to other mini organizations like Jeunesse, Ethos, Society of Protectors, DOS, and other things they have done. Like, there was a singing group they had. There was uh, Rainbow Cultural Gardens. Like, all kinds... Just for kids, yeah. All kinds of communities within ESP, which is within Nexium. So, yes. when we say Nexium, we mean everything. But ESP is really where I would have joined ESP and I would have gotten sucked into this cult. <laughs> so, I think, you know, and I think that's that is the core of it. So, ESP are basically these intensive training programs and what they are is they're they're not you know they're not advertised in a way that's like we're going to brainwash you they're not advertised in that way it's advertised like if you want to be successful we have a success training group if you want to be are you a struggling actor join our group we'll teach you how to be better yourself how to be successful so it really was marketed in that way which is really appealing because who doesn't want to better themselves who doesn't want to be successful and they would convince people like almost badger them whenever they were trying to get them to sign up for these intensive because they cost thousands of dollars like whenever sarah paid for her first intensive she was on a 
she was on like a ship or she was on like a vacation-y, conference-y like a, thing. Like a cruise kind of thing? Yeah. And she met Mark Vicente there. And Sarah's an actor and Mark is a producer. So she was really wanting to, you know, get in tight with Mark, which she did wind up doing. <laughs> They're very good yeah, friends. They, yep, yep. But she had met him and then Mark hooked her up. She was sitting there and she was coughing. And he looked at her and he said what would happen if he just stopped coughing? And Sarah kind of thought about it. And she had her first EM moment where she was like, I get sick and cough for the attention. If I feel like my husband's not giving me enough attention, I get sick. Oh my gosh. And she kind of just tried to blow it off. But then whenever they were like, well, you know, we're going to do this intensive up, you know, up in Albany and blah, blah, blah. She was hooked. Just because Mark said, what would happen if you would stop coughing? And, like, I think those, like, trainings are intensives. Like, even the language of intensive. Like, you're invested. Like, if you if you pay the money. I mean, think about this, like, psychologically. You pay the money for this intensive class and you get there. You're going to make the most of it because you paid for it. You're not going to sit there and be like yeah this is stupid because you paid for it so you're already justifying like man i put a lot of money into this now i just need to try to make the best of it so now they've got you for was it a five day intensive the, or a six the day? initial one is a five day and then yeah. there's an 11 day and then there's a 16 day yeah so think about that It'd think of like how much work a- you would lose if you worked a normal nine to five well, and you go to any conference for five days, like you're just absorbing information. And now imagine that all of that information is meant to psychologically twist your arm, basically, to join the cause. And it's kind of subtly breaking you down that you have these flaws that need worked on and that Nexium can help you do that. And they cost thousands of dollars. That's what I can't get over. Like, ah. And I, you know, and I agree. And I think that that, like, money situation really parallels well with Scientology like if you think about how Scientology is basically geared towards wealthy people and that's what um that's what Keith wanted too he wanted the rich he wanted the famous he wanted every you know influential people to be under him yeah and you know I try to look at this as someone who like if I went to that meeting because I think you know people are like well how could you join a cult like that's like that's stupid but like think about this now you have the clout like now you're in a room with all these other very successful like rich people like if they're not doing anything wrong like what you know what i mean like this isn't a bad like neighborhood no this shoddy like cabin like this is yeah i'm working on myself in the midst of giant people in my industry totally like totally and it's like of mark vicente allison mack from smallville you know, there's lawyers there. There's heiresses well, the of Seagram's fortune. I mean, there's all these people. Mm-hmm. Now, is are the Salzmans the heiresses? No, the Bronfmans are the heiresses. The Bronf, the Bronf, Bronfmans, yes. But to kind of put the whole money thing in perspective, because obviously that's what I'm hung up on, to get to a green sash, which is the fourth layer in the stripe path it usually costs that person one million dollars 
between the money to do the intensives and you're working for free up until orange so all through white and all through yellow you're it's just you putting your money into it you know and that's i think definitely a red flag like guys if you ever are offered something where your work you are working for free or like it creatives creatives are always asked like hey can i can you make me a free like art piece or a free like music and and when they when they cover it as well you get you know you'll get uh, exposure exposure is not payment exposure is not payment and the same thing with this like being part of a community is not payment like you should get paid for your work so big red flag if you're ever considering something where you're working for free it's probably not true it's probably not real there's something funny going on there yeah yeah for sure but speaking of claire and sarah bronfman they are the heiresses of the seagram's fortune and they financed millions if not billions into nexium and keith they are the ones that got the dalai lama to come to new york to endorse nexium and think about that too like when you have a group backed by the dalai lama like hey this has got to be good right i mean he's he's a pretty good good person right okay in 2003 the bronfman started getting a little sticky with keith and edgar bronfman was quoted saying i think it's a cult and Edgar is like, you know, the owner of Seagram's. Like, well, and this was quoted in Forbes, so it's not like it was like he like whispered it. Like, this is a big deal. No, he was quoted in Forbes saying, "I think it's a cult," and that just started the speculation. Tony had to endure a lot from Keith. So I think right now is when we're starting to peek behind the curtains of who Keith really is as a person. And he would, now correct me if I'm wrong, this is the part where he's really not letting Tony sleep. Like, she's not allowed to sleep. And really being overbearing, controlling, like, her every kind of move. Am I right on this? Yes. I know she had to, uh, another trigger warning if, if sexual assault um, but I know that he was raping her. Yes, she would say and, no, and he would find a way. Yes, and it, it got to the point where she was worried about her own son because Tony Natale had had a son with the husband. Keith, yeah, with with the husband before Keith, and so she, the son goes to live with the dad, I believe. Yeah, because yeah. she was afraid for his safety. Yeah, because she knew something was up. She had tried to break up with Keith at one point, and then the girls Keith was living with, Kristen, Pam, um, and others, I can't even remember their names. There's so many names within this, it's really easy to get mixed up. But mm-hmm. they would come to Sarah... They would come to Tony's house and beg her... Harass. Beg her they to harass. take him back. And, I mean, they're... Keith made Tony stare at this dead puppy. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I, which that's not in the book. That was something I found online in my research, so I'm not going to say that that is 100% correct. But I could see Keith doing it. Well, yeah, and so, I mean, harass, really harassing Tony. And what you find is that he harassed this poor woman for years and years and then she was tied up in court with litigation after litigation after litigation 
with the Brofmans for years because mm-hmm. they tried to say that she stole from the company. They were they were stealing mail out of her mailbox and getting her electric shut off, getting her phone shut off, pulled her kid, like called the school that her kid was attending and tried to unroll him. Yeah. Unenroll him. Unenroll, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. So really she, you know, come to find out that, you know, Tony's starting to see that Keith, who Keith is really, who he really is. And yeah, I think it's important too that it's a little suspicious, you know, that he's living with several other women, but he was adamant that, you know. It was just to help um, save money while we're building and. Yeah, said that, you know, one of them was a lesbian, said, and just had all these excuses. And as you'll find, he does a really nice job of hiding, you know, who all he's having sex with. And Sarah and other Nexians, I'm sure, they were under the impression that Keith was a celibate male, totally focused on the journey. Like, yeah, that was that was his thing. He's like he, celibacy was his like guys. And Tony was the first major defector from the company. And whenever somebody would leave, Keith, especially somebody closer to Keith, Keith would go bananas. He cannot handle it. No, he cannot handle the rejection at all. But yep. the major, the first major mass defection was the Nexium 9. This is where Barbara Boucher, who was Ranieri's partner for nine years, and other women higher up in the Nexium line, they met with Keith and they confronted him about having sex with them all. He was sleeping with all of them except one, I think. Mm-hmm. And he just had excuse after excuse after excuse that, you know, he was, you know, building them he was helping them he was filling them with his this is really inappropriate to have a like brain fart about what i'm trying to think of filling him filling them with his knowledge and worth god okay i need to redo this oh god this is so bad that's awesome okay But that was the first mass defection, and he tied those ladies up in court for years. And one woman, and I forget her name, she couldn't even afford an attorney. She had to represent herself, and she did wind up winning. But Barbara Boucher was in for months, and whenever this defection happened... Sarah Edmondson was already part of Nexium. Lauren Salzman was already a part of Nexium. And once those people left, Lauren, Lauren Salzman, Allison Mack, um, they became some of the top executives. And Lauren was a green sash, and her and Sarah were best friends. They referred to each other as being best friends, but Lauren seemed to always kind of keep Sarah at arm's length. And, I mean, Sarah felt close enough to her that she had named her godmother of her child. And it turns out Lauren was sleeping with Keith. Lauren thought that 
Keith was monogamous with her at first. And he kept her on a string by, you know, I promise that, like, we'll have a baby. And Once you sort to- out your stuff, we'll have a baby. Once you, you know, break through and have more EMs. And she... I think- can I do a random, like, sidebar on this but so we don't get too far ahead and I, I forget? Yeah. Okay, I think it's also important to mention that from Tony Natale's sessions, quote-unquote sessions, with uh, Nancy Salzman, that's really what the basis of the program ended up being. So. Oh, yeah, all, they were all, all yes. of the different um, lessons that they would teach and the things that they would proctor all came they, from the sessions that they had with they, Tony. Yes, they pulled everything from those sessions, and they were like, this is how we're going to do it. And I cannot quite remember the specifics of it, but, yeah, I just remember that. And then what happened was, unfortunately, they twisted it when Tony decided to leave, and they were like, she is literally, you know, the devil. That's people like her that try to tear us down, and these are the qualities, and twisted everything. And just continued to, you know, torture her. <laughs> like, yeah, they were taking her to court every other day, but also they had an entire, the whole foundation of Nexium was to not be like Tony Natale. And those within Nexium knew that they would not speak to her. She was the devil. She was Satan. Once yep. the Nexium 9 defected, they were. They had to drop all contact. Sarah Edmondson was really close with Barb Boucher, and whenever Keith said, "This is what they've done. They've stolen money. They've done this. They've done that." You know, Sarah cut her off too. And um, side note, again, because you know we like doing this, <laughs> kind of bringing it back to Keith stringing her, stringing Lauren along, and promising her of a child. Keith already had one. His name was Galen, but nobody knew, and not, well, not no one, but the majority of Nexium didn't know that Galen was Keith's. He was the reason Rainbow Cultural Garden existed. And it's marketed as a daycare where they had women that spoke Hindu, Spanish, Italian, like, and all these kids would learn these languages. Well, and I think even the name, like, yeah, it sounds like hippy-dippy, but I think underneath, we all know that that was just a big grooming situation. Like, what better way for him to get new recruits than to literally grow them in his weird little rainbow cultural garden? And I don't remember if it was The Vow or one of the books, but they were grooming the kids for sex. That is, they were teaching them at such a young age that, hey, this is, this is okay. This is how we love each other. Yes. Actually, I do remember that from the program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is just sick. But, yeah, so he already had a baby. <laughs> okay. So, now that we've kind of, I mean, we've mentioned Sarah a good bit. But she was a Canadian actress. She started into Nexium with, you know, Mark Vicente on the on the cruise ship. I think that's what it was. At, 
I think Sarah's story, like, I feel like the way that we broke this up was Tony's story, and now I feel like we're starting into kind of Sarah's story. So, like, the whole first half of this episode has been, who is Keith Raniere, and how did this cult situation even get started? A little look into his character and what he is capable of, you know? And I think now we're kind of jumping into, like, Sarah's story. And Sarah is probably one of the strongest people I have ever read about, watched on TV. She she was the whistleblower of Nexium. She is the one that helped blow all of this out in the open. Which, you know, and if you think of it like if you have something happen at work and you know like morally that you should tell your boss that is very low scale compared to Sarah going up against an entire group of wealthy you know well lawyered people (laughs) like what they're capable of doing and well loved like they are were so highly regarded for sure and there's only some suspicion that they were a cult like it was never really like at at that point anyways yeah yeah it wasn't like other than the frank report because he was all about (laughs) it just wasn't as obvious like heaven's gate or like those other cults that you're like that's weird like there's something strange happening or like david koresh like you know it wasn't that obvious because it's modern day i mean these are wealthy people it looks like scientology Really, it does. And I think Keith took a lot of ideas from Scientology. He has to. And, like, one of my questions I wrote in my notes was, like, is Keith Raniere as calculated as it looks on paper? Or did he just get lucky? Or is he really just good at manipulating people? I think at first he was a businessman. I really, I really think that's where it started. He was a businessman where he tried and then I think that he noticed how he could manipulate and then maybe just got better and practiced and and then stopped being about business and then it all went to manipulation and self-satisfaction totally agree speaking this even up to this point other than the you know litigations and being downright awful to Tony we I could still, I'm still sure some of you are sitting here listening going, okay, but what was so bad? Yeah. I mean, at this point, it's like, what is so bad? Why did this even, why are you wasting our time with this? But here's where it gets crazy. Here's where kind of the top blows off and we find everything out that's, that's happening. So, in a nutshell, Keith slept with almost every woman he was close to. I'm talking Barbara Boucher, Pam K. Fritz, Nancy Salzman, Lauren Salzman. Um, he did not sleep with Sarah that I'm aware of. That's not anywhere. But she wasn't really close to Keith. She did a really good job of trying to stay arm's length away. Like Mark would kept telling her, go take a walk with Keith. And she was like, uh, no. After the Nexium 9 defected and he brought in the younger girls, I think that's where it turned from being about the cause and being about Keith's sex drive. <laughs> and this is when we hear about Doss. In Sarah's book, Scarred, 
she gives a blow-by-blow account of how that happened. Sarah goes into depth about how she was inducted into DOS. She, at first, is told to, you know, Lauren tells her, I have this really cool thing I want you to join, but I need collateral before I can tell you anything about it. Yes, and I think, like, it's important to maybe mention that Lauren and Sarah, like, Sarah believed that they were really, really awesome friends. Like, they've known each other for years. They've been really close. Like She's her baby's godmother. Like Yeah, like, it isn't like someone just strolled in and was like, hey, I'm going to need you to do this. Uh, It wasn't like that. It was like, in the way it was presented. It was like, hey, we're, you know, we are empowering women and we're a sorority and this is great, but I can't tell you anything else until... Yeah, like, if you want to be part of this exclusive, exclusive group of empowered and powerful women, I'm going to need some collateral. To show your dedication. A.K.A. blackmail. (laughs) Like, I'm going to blackmail you, is what, if she was saying what she was really doing. And um, collateral and penance is really salted through Nexium. I mean, they're towards the end. And penance, because we haven't really talked about it, it's whenever, like... I would overeat that day, so then I would um, I would punish myself by not letting me myself eat for 24 hours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It kind of makes me think of the Da Vinci Code when that guy's, like, beating his back. Yeah, that's exactly what's, yeah. Yeah, like, actually punishing yourself for, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, so I think that... Also, okay, so Sarah's collateral was... At first there was a video or a letter, I don't remember which, of her saying saying all kinds of nasty things about her, about Nippy, her husband, her family, stuff that wasn't true. It just had to be something that could be used against her, that she Mm -hmm. said all these things. Mm -hmm. And then then it was a nude photo that had to have her face and her labia in it. So she, you know... Anyways, she had to get that yeah. photo taken. And then there it's like, did she, each time they would go a little further, Lauren would just ask for more and more collateral. At one point, she asked for the deed for her house. Yeah. I, yeah. I go, oh, my goodness. But So then she's invited to this special retreat where they're going to get this cute little tattoo. And about the size of a dime. About the size of a dime that's really going to bond them together yes (laughs) bond bond (laughs) bond them together for sure it had something to do with the elements and you know looking with like your chakras it was a whole thing no it wasn't it was not a whole thing it was keith ranieri and allison max initials that's what it was (laughs) branded into their skin it was not a it it was not a cute little tattoo it was a giant ass brand right by the vagina Nicole's mad mad. <laughs> okay, so anyways, I kind of jumped the gun, but I get real heated. So <laughs> Mad, mad, mad. But yeah, so at this point, like, Sarah doesn't actually have that. and She doesn't know that's what it is. She's thinking it's going to be a cute little tiny tattoo that is going to bond her with, you know, other powerful women. And her best friend. And, yeah, I was like, and Lauren. So, like, who doesn't get, like, a lot of people get tattoos with their best friend. Like, that's not abnormal. But what is about to happen to Sarah is very abnormal. She gets to her best friend's house, Lauren. 
Lauren takes her upstairs, tells her to get naked, and leaves the room. And so she gets naked and's like just sitting there and Lauren tells her, you need to get over your body. It's like, okay, that helped everything. You know? Yeah, I forget ex- I forget exactly the language that they would use to be like, you need, that's, you're having, you're a, or you are something, like insecure. What was it they would say? Mad dogging is the term for being defensive. Being defensive. Yeah. Yeah, so it is mad dogging. Okay. Lauren told her that it was just her and women she would know. So, you know, she she felt her body. She wanted to, like, she felt like the flight or, the fight or flight response happening, you know, the adrenaline going. Okay. So, and that's something, okay, so that's something that Nexium members tend to do is, oh, well, you're really being defensive. You really need to check yourself. Like, you need, like, what, you know what I mean? And that is kind of where they encourages self-reflection but they want the self-reflection to match what they like want from you yeah and if it doesn't you have control issues yes you're the one with the issue oh so you don't want to go with me on this retreat or this intensive you need to check your defensiveness like you need to check yourself like what's holding you back and like this whole day sarah said that day taught her the power of the training she received and how successful the program has been at silencing her own inner voice. For sure. And you know what? We totally forgot to mention the slave dynamic. Oh, yeah. Whenever so, she was telling, yes. whenever Lauren was telling Sarah about this, she said this and thing is called DOS. And it's dominant over submissive. And you're going to call me master and you're going to be my slave. But it's nothing, don't look, don't read into it like that. Don't, you know, don't be defensive. Yeah. It's just a title. Yeah, she, it's just the way yeah. we. She's like, we're just friends. And honestly, it reminds me of a sorority. Like, you're my big, and, or I'm your big, and you're my little. And it's that group, that group-like bonding, which is the same thing. Like, don't read into it. You're not really my slave. But then the behavior and the dynamic and what Sarah was required to, to do to stay in she would have to participate in readiness drills where at any time of day or night lauren would text her you know ready and she would say yes master like anytime she addressed her it was good morning master good night master if she lost service at any point she would have to say going dark you know Mm -hmm. back on Mm -hmm. she would have to do that whenever she would enter an elevator exit an elevator like it'd be a full-time job just dude I couldn't keep up with that, but for sure, like she's being conditioned at this point to obey orders. It's really not that unlike a military training, really. Right, for sure. And also at the house that they're having this, you know, initiation ceremony, it is Keith, physical proximity was very crucial to him. Like, all of the women who worked as the senior-level coaches lived near the Nexium headquarters. Like, Lauren, Nancy, Allison Mack, Nikki Klein, and a ton more, I'm sure. But, like, they even had Sarah move there, but her and Nippy decided they wanted, they wanted space, so they didn't move right into that neighborhood. But, so, 
she had went through all this with Lauren just preparing for this day. And then she gets there and she's told to get naked, which she was not prepared for. Whenever Lauren comes back upstairs, she gives her a little blindfold and says, put this on. So then she's being blindfolded and walked through a house. She has no idea who else is there. She's heard voices, but that's it. And Lauren takes her down and sits her in a circle with these other women, tells them to finally take their blindfolds off. And they look up. Lauren reads a script, like an initiation script deal from her computer. And as Sarah's looking around, she noticed that Lauren's phone is recording all of this, mm-hmm. which wasn't unusual for Nexium. Like, all of their ESP intensives were recorded for, you know, future use. But, but now they're naked. They're naked in a room full of women. Like, that, yeah. they shouldn't have recorded that. That is inappropriate. Yeah. So they, you know, go through this whole little spiel. They eat dinner. Pretty sure they got clothed at that point. And then they all pile into Lauren's car and drive to a secondary location. They have their blindfolds back on because they're not supposed to know where it is. But this was at Alice and Max's house, according to Sarah. And they go in, and this is where the branding is really shown to them. And Sarah was like, that is not, that is, how'd she say it? Like, that is not the size of a dime. Like, this is big. Yeah, and I think also the fact that it wasn't a tattoo. Like, they literally were searing their skin. They were branding them. With a cauterizing knife. Like, it it was a thing. and the girls were freaking out, and she's trying to stay calm. It just, this is awful. Like, and Lauren's sitting there coaching her as these girls are getting branded. Because they were all, they all stood together, naked, mind you, holding each other down. While each one of them was getting this brand right beside their vagina in their nether region. Mm-hmm. and they were like Lauren was coaching her and saying hey you're the green sash here you need to show them how to do this and kind of holding that like I don't know if she did it specifically but that almost that you're never going to be you're never going to move up yeah like this this you have to do this you have to show that you're committed to me and to our cause and it's just bananas. But Sarah was so proud of herself because she she didn't flinch. She didn't scream like the other girls. She did exactly what Lauren wanted her to. She showed them. Yep, yep. And she got it done. And then she was recruiting other people for her own slave. And... I think she might have been recruiting before the brand before the brand was actually put on her body. Yes, and then at this point she's like, "This is not okay," and she finds out that these pictures and everything is being sent to Keith Ramirez, and that this is all for him, and that he's, yeah. And at first she just saw Allison Max initial on the brand because of the way she looked at it, but then one of the girls that she was close with in Nexium looked at it at a different angle, and saw the KR for Keith Ranieri. And at that point, she was just done. Um, She came clean to Mark Vicente about it. Mark Vicente is the one that told her husband Nippy about it. Nippy threw a giant 
fit, <laughs> which I mean, rightfully so, about the brand in front in the middle of a intensive i think he had walked in and um told lauren like you branded my wife like that's not okay i am done i resigned from sop which is the male version basically like it was called the society of protectors and then lauren went after sarah was like why does nippy know about this you saw you know you took a vow you were not, you know, that you were not supposed to tell anybody anything. And so then Sarah was all worried about her collateral being released, which was the nude photo and the invalid video. And Sarah and Nippy worked with Mark and his wife, Bonnie, and India Oxenberg's mom. But they involved Catherine Oxenberg. They have left Nexium. They start getting together with the Frank Report. And the New York Times had a giant expose. They, they had Sarah's brand on the front page. And so they have blown the lid off on DOS. And they compiled lists for everything for, for the police force to be able, like, I think it was the FBI to go after them for racketeering charges, sex trafficking charges, um, they should have done pedophilia too because Keith slept with little girls that were like 14, 15 and oh my gosh I don't, I don't think they were able to get him on that but they should have but whenever they finally found him they arrested him in Mexico because they also had a Nexium headquarters in Mexico so he was hiding down there and and his arrest is just hilarious i mean it really is like he was hiding out with his girls like allison mack and lauren salzman and nikki stayed loyal nikki klein and they stayed loyal till the very end i mean as the cop car is driving away they're chasing after the cop car because ranieri's inside and i will say and i think it was the program that lauren salzman stood up and was ready to take a bullet for keith because that is what these girls were trained. Well, actually, they were trained that it almost like really outdated view that the man is supposed to take care of the women and that they shouldn't really be worrying about anything or, you know, something like like that along those lines. And just like Nicole said, that busted in, had a gun to Lauren's head. And she was ready and, to take it. <laughs> and, and where was Keith? He was hiding in a closet. You know, and their protector, I, their vanguard, was hiding in a closet. While they're out there with guns to their heads. But, yeah, so Lauren was like, that's when I really, truly knew that Keith cared about Keith and nobody else. And that's what it boiled down to. He used everyone he could. And as those girls became unbrainwashed, like, in all of their statements, they all was like, he's a psychopath. Just like Nancy said from the very beginning. Yeah. And I, so I think, you know, so you have this picture of Keith as the smartest man in the world. Oh, hey, by the way, his so. IQ was only like 170. I mean, that's still a high IQ, but it was definitely not 240. Yes. Yeah, so what we end up and find out in the end is that he never had a high IQ like that. He, you know, um, 
he wasn't successful. He wasn't a business person. He, he was a bum. <laughs> he rode the curtails of everyone Success else. And money. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a nar- he's a narcissistic, charismatic. Oh yes, yeah. super charismatic. I mean, the charisma is there. The, I mean, whenever I was watching the vow, they showed a bunch of snippets of Keith talking and. Just the way he talks and his voice, it just draws you in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they do so many things that are hallmarks of a cult. The love bonding, the trauma bonding, the, you know, the... The obsession with food because Keith would make them count calories and, you know, only could eat... They were all vegetarian. They weren't allowed to eat meat. I mean, the... Control of food is a big cult thing, too. And the um, they would have these giant volleyball nights during the week, and they would be up until the wee hours in the morning playing volleyball because that's what Keith wanted them to do. Literally makes no sense. It, yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, kind of as a wrap-up, that what was so bad about this cult was essentially it's, sex trafficking essentially that this that these things that were happening here were a hundred times worse in Mexico because he had branched out so we don't even know what was happening to the women in Mexico no um, we we're in the dark about a lot still yes and I know that there were some suspicious deaths that you know almost kind of like how Scientology will not tr- they don't treat like they don't do you know if someone has cancer you don't get treatment for it i feel like maybe some similar things happening here yeah and there were a couple people that had like full-blown psychosis because they were messing with your mind in those intensives some people have full-blown psychosis and either quote unquote committed suicide or were taken care of yeah for sure but Keith Ranieri is just, he's a mess. He is a mess. He's definitely, he's finally getting what he deserves. And I mean. Yeah, he was just finally charged. It took them till 2018 to even yeah, arrest is, him. And yeah, then so I, in 2020, they finally um, charged him. No, not charged him. They've sentenced. They finally sentenced him to 120 years in prison. Mm-hmm. And in the courtroom, more than a dozen victims gave gut-wrenching testimonies about how he manipulated and sexually abused them. He promised a path to happiness, seducing wealthy people who felt they lacked a higher purpose in life. Beneath the surface, Keith was a puppet master controlling a cult-like criminal enterprise Some women were sexually abused by Ranieri and branded with his initials. He was 60 years old whenever he was sentenced last fall to 120 years in prison for sex trafficking and other crimes. And the judge also ordered him to pay a 1.75 million fine. So, the Nexium call on the outside doesn't look that bad. But when you dig into this, it is bad. No, I like I said, I totally would have joined. 
I've said this since I first started like (laughs) reading this and you know learning about it and yeah it's like I I would have joined especially this past summer whenever I was in such a bad place mental health wise if I could have done anything to really like elevate myself and make myself feel better and really get to know myself again and how to cope with things I would have joined this I doubt I would have been down about the branding but I'm just saying I would have joined (laughs) But, you know, and you bring up a really good point about people being in these vulnerable states, too. You know, when you're vulnerable and you're looking to help yourself, and then you've got a manipulative psychopath on the other table. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, take it back to Tony and Natalie. She wasn't allowed to tell anybody that she was with Keith because she didn't have an education. He used whatever little thing he could to manipulate and get what he wanted and only what yeah and totally use that like insecurity of her like you know she's probably like oh yeah like i don't want to i don't want to let him know either it's like yeah i don't want them to think the only reason i have the job is because of you yeah uh so okay well that is the story of keith ranieri and the the fall of nexium and i'm so glad that we i mean it's me and Amanda. Of course, we're all over the place. But yeah. <laughs> this is so much better than that last episode that we uh, recorded. We were really all over the place in our timeline. Yeah, but sorry about that. <laughs> we're working on it. We're getting, um, we're getting back in the swing of things. We plan on trying to have you guys another new episode here in a couple weeks. We're just slowly getting back into it. So make sure you follow us on Instagram at coffee books and true crime and follow us so you can so you can stay up to date with whenever we're going to be releasing new episodes Mm -hmm. but i think that's a wrap guys and i'm nicole i'm amanda bye 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 this is coffee books and true crime